My name is Jorge M. Sanchez, and you're listening to the JMS Podcast. Today's guest is a very talented musician, Alex Stanley. I met this guy through the open mics here in San Jose, and man, I'm glad he came along. And he played a great song at the end. Uh, he played a song that's called The Weaned in the Wheat. And uh, honestly, like the way this guy plays is so uh, bluesy, folky, that he's very distinct around here. So it was great for him to come by, sit down. I got, I got to know him a bit more. And uh, but, and before we get there, I'm going to put one of his songs that's on his EP, which is available on Bandcamp. You can just search for Alex Stanley on Bandcamp. Um, and it's called Another Song About Your Name. So yeah, so look forward to that. And uh, you're probably thinking, well, Jorge, I don't have time to go to Bandcamp. Well, you know what? Then just follow the JMS Podcast on social media, and I will post a link up real soon this week. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz. You can send me an email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. So there you have it. Um, and I really hope you, you enjoy his music, because I do. I sure do. Uh, this past week, uh, I'm not sure if you know, but I have a comedy show every Wednesday night at downtown San Jose at Cafe Friscotti. And for a while now, me and Mighty Mike McGee, he is a well-known poet around here, and he was a guest on this podcast not too long ago. Uh, he and I, well, mostly he produced The Gong Show, so we brought back a 70s, you, you know that TV show in the 70s? Uh, if you don't, check it out, it's hilarious. We brought it to a local level here in San Jose where people bring in different acts and there's, you know, there's a gong. So if, if it's a bad act, the crowd and the judges can gong you. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, recently, though, uh, we had our last gong show for Scotty. It's not the last gong show, though, because the gong show is not moving from for Scotty to Stritch, if you're interested. And uh, and I was a judge for the previous week. Uh, at the last Frascati Gong Show. And it was fun. I had a good time. I had a good time. Had a weird moment though. Um, we had a poet. And he is a well known poet. Very well known. And I think by saying that he is probably the oldest man in San Jose doing poetry would already give you a hint who this guy is if you're into the community here. But I will not say his name. But anyway, I love the guy. Every time he comes on open mics, uh, he, he always has a lot of wisdom. And especially when stand up, he would come by and give me some, you know, you know, some input. However, the thing with this guy is that he speaks very softly. And I mean, the guy is old. The guy is ninety years old. He doesn't. He, you know, it's it doesn't matter if he's not aware how how softly he speaks and he performs. He can't even understand the words. It's just he does not give a shit. He does not care. And at at his age, he has every right to not even care. You know, if I ever get to that point. Like, what, you can't understand what I'm saying? Well, fuck you. I live, like, so many life, life, you know, such a long life. He deserves it. However, it got pretty awkward because I was a judge, and there's two other judges, and he came on stage, and, of course, he performs a poem, but the thing is, I cannot understand the poem. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't want to gong the guy because, after all, it is a competition, and it's like, I'm not going to be that asshole that's going to gong an old man in front of a crowd. The minute I do that, instantly I am the fucking villain in this room. So I was like, you know what? I'm here as a comedian judge panel. The guy next to me is the poet uh, judge. So 
I'll let him decide. Me, I'm just gonna bear through it. I'm not gonna look up. And the worst that that's gonna I'm gonna do probably is just give him a bad score. You know, because it is a competition, right? I don't want to give a guy the sympathy the sympathy vote. It's like uh, maybe I should, but like it, it would in my in my opinion would kind of degrade the point of the Gong Show. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and sure enough, you know, I I, I could already feel the room is losing it. I could feel like the room is like, like they're trying to understand what he's trying to say in this poem, but they're already, you know, like ah, uh, you know, they're trying to be nice, but you could tell that they're losing interest. And so I look over at the poetry, uh, the poetry judge, to see if he's gonna do anything about it, and nope, he has his head down and he he's thinking exactly the same thing. I'm not gonna gong the old man. You know, he's, he, he just can't do it. And then before you know it, he looks up, the judge looks at me, he goes, and he passes over the the gong mallet, implying, it's like, Jorge, if you got the balls to gong them, you should gong them. And I was like, you motherfucker in my head. I was like, come on, don't put me in this situation. And then I look over at the third judge, and she's like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. So she goes to the bathroom. And here am I having this crisis of like, should I gong the old man or not? Because, again, I don't want to look like the villain. So I was like, you know what? Let me take a, a read in the crowd. So I look behind me. And sure enough, I see about three people looking straight at me to do something about this. At this point, the, the, the old man who's doing the poetry, he's already like more than halfway. Still can't understand what he's saying. And I'm over here staring at three people in the crowd looking at me like, hey, man, like, you know, you want to do it. Like, like, come on. Like, how much of this can, can we can we can we go through? And at that point, it hit me. It's like, oh, my God. OK, the people want him kind of gonged. The judges want him gonged. Does this mean that I have to be that guy? Am, am I doing what the needs of the many want so I, at that moment, I was like, you know what? If this is what the people want, and it, 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 if this is what's going to drive this competition forward, I guess I'm going to have to be that guy. So I pick up the gong mallet, and as soon as I do that and I stand up to approach the gong, which is behind the performer, the old man stops sing, stops you know reciting his poem, and he looks right at me. He looks and gives me this look of confusion and fear of like, is this guy really gonna gong me right now? Like, does he have any idea how old I am? Like, does like who does this guy think he is to gong me? And at that point, I got caught red. Like, I, I felt like I was a deer in the headlights when he right when he got me. He looked at me when I stood up with the with the gong mallet, and I was like, "Well, I got caught. Might as well follow through." So sure enough, I stand up and I walk over to the gong, and I'm ready to hit the gong. And all of a sudden, I hear groans, like massive groans coming from the from the crowd of like, no, don't gong him. I'm like, what? You people wanted this. I would not have gonged him if I didn't turn around and if y'all look interested in it. I was like, fine, they're interested in it. I'm not going to gong the guy. But I look back, you guys were so not interested and you gave me that look to gong the guy. And I was like, I'm doing you guys a favor. I get up to do the favor. And sure enough, no, we don't want him to get gonged. He's such an old man. Jorge, you're such an asshole. The entire room turned on me. Turned on me completely. 
And I should have followed through with it, but I did not. I did not. That was my mistake. I did not commit because I, I, I stopped myself from hitting the gong right when I was inches away to look back at what the hell they were groaning at me. I was like, what? And I was like, you know what? And then it hit me. It's like, oh, fuck you guys. I just got betrayed by the crowd. I was like, fine. And I made this thing of like, okay, the people have spoken. I'm not going to gong the guy. So I sit back down. Uh, the old man says something, I don't know, facetious about me. And in the crowd, he wins the crowd instantly. And he finishes his poem. And the whole time, I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonging nobody. This is un- like, fuck that. Fuck that. I'm do- I was doing you guys a favor. I was trying to be in the spirit of the show and mercilessly be a judge. But no. You had to turn on me like that. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I have the best intentions. But uh, sometimes, I, I, I guess, involuntarily, I kind of become that person, the scapegoat. The guy that everybody knows needs to be done or needs to be said. But I say them and I do them. And I end up being the bad guy. And I think, uh, I mean, that's okay, I guess. I, I think, I think, um, I think I, I learned a lesson there. And that is, I should probably do less for more people. I don't know. I I, I kind of, kind of got a chip on my shoulder now with with the masses. It's like, wh- what do you guys want, huh? If you guys really didn't want this old man to get gonged, you should look fucking interested in the first place. Then I wouldn't have gonged him. Instead of having like three to four of you guys staring at me, going like, "You, hey, you gotta help us. You gotta help us with this." Well, let's go. Fuck it. Fuck it. Whatever. Any on that note, the Gong Show are very fun. You should come check it out. Uh, check out Mighty Mike's McGee um, webpage or or look for my Facebook to figure out what's in the next Gong Show at Stretch. And uh, yeah, without much further ado. Let's get with Alex Stanley. And here's a song I'm going to play from his album. And it's called Another Song About Your Name. Well, I wish I was a big screen hero. Some fat old cowboy who draws his guns At the slightest threat or provocation I'd blast my way right into your arms Oh, I tried, tried, how I tried now Shooting first and asking questions later I threw my hat down, drew a line And end up bleeding in the sand Yes, baby, it's just not our time Right now Well, I wish I was a wise old writer I'd wax poetic about some grace Well, I'd grow my beard and write you love songs Yeah, but they don't be just about your name 
tuners yeah i do have one of those i just i don't think it's with me right now okay. and so you know cell phone apps are great do, do, you, do you trust those though can, can you really trust a cell phone app tuner uh i think so i mean it, i think it's a relatively simple program um and i think it's just a matter of trying out ones that you like i i i more do it for uh just to get like the um the absolute pitch of a certain string because i have a pretty good ear and good relative pitch do you feel like you were you were born with a good ear, or is this something you developed? Um, Can you develop a good ear? Yes, it, it certainly that certainly people are naturally more inclined for it than others. Um, but it you know just like anything, just like you know working out, working a skill, or even apparently eyesight, you can any. It's also a, there's you know both a natural component and a skill component to it. So you can you can always work the skill, work you know get better at it, listen for certain intervals, that kind of thing. Ear okay. training. And you felt you were born with it. Yeah, I, I felt I'm I'm naturally inclined to it, but I, I've also worked at it as a skill. What, when have you noticed? Like, at what age did you notice? Like, hey, I could actually distinguish hmm. different tones. Uh, well, I don't have a perfect pitch. I'm not sure if I'd want perfect pitch because apparently that can get really annoying. But I've got a good relative pitch. I think at the age when I uh, for when I realized it was, it was probably around. Uh, I think uh, middle school, like seventh or eighth grade. I'm not sure how old I was then. Maybe like twelve or thirteen. My mom's a band director, so that's when she started doing interval training with us. And I found it was something I was, you know, naturally pretty good at. And then just having her, you know, do the do these exercises uh, with us, um, I think really helped develop my ear. And then just playing, and then that eventually turns into you know playing with uh, when you're playing with other people. If you're really listening in to what they're doing. Um, having a good ear can help because that allow, can allow you to follow along with people without them having to tell you what the chords are. So your mom was your band director at your school. Yep. So, so you went to school. Your mom worked. How was that? Was that kind of weird? Like, like were your classmates kind of like, oh, you're the teacher's pet kind of thing? Or uh, I mean, maybe, maybe initially, like in you know fifth grade or whatever, that was like a thing. Like when people are like 
extra immature, but like you know, that goes away pretty quickly. I think we always had a pretty uh, like one when I had a class with her, it was like she was the teacher and I was the student. We kind of set aside the familial relationship. Even at that age, you, you could be like mature about that. You're like, oh yeah, okay. She's she's not my mom right now. She's my teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like, like, uh, like, were there times where you just <coughs> rebelled? I don't think uh, I was. I was a pretty relatively tame child. Like I, w I was a weird kid. I like I do a lot of weird things, but um, like what? <laughs> uh, I dress weirdly. Um, How so? My, my grandpa had these old like suits from the '40s, and I'd like you know wear them like they're these really ostentatious kind of suits i'd often go to like thrift stores and like wear like pick out the most clashing outfits uh there was <laughs> i don't i think the most like um like where do you feel this need to dress differently or old school came from do you think well i think it's it, it's just a part of part of uh high school you know everyone's searching for their identity at this point um i know i wanted to stand out right so i mean I wanted to be different than everyone else. So I get it, man. I remember my entire freshman year of high school, I wore a leather jacket. Rain, the same leather sun, jacket. shine. Yeah, the same leather jacket. It didn't matter what weather condition it was. I had to wear it because it was my special. It was like my identity. This is me. When people see me around campus, they know it's me. Is that kind of what you were going for? Yeah, I think uh, Yeah, I think it's that kind of thing. And then, you know, like, when when you're in high school, at least for me, you know, it's like it's easy to go overboard because you're you're searching for that identity. So like you, for me, it was like I'd go extra over the top in like you know in in the ridiculous things I'd wear, and and how I'd act, uh, you know, because we're like you know it's it's formative years. We're kind of like overcompensating for not quite knowing who we are yet. Now I think you know I'm more or less an adult. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm still you know a really weird person, but I don't like have to go out of my way to. Uh, to like project to the world what how much of an individual I am. Well, do you still feel like you go out to thrift stores and find clashing clothing to wear? Uh, I mean, I don't like. I don't think I dress how I. I just dress how I like, how I feel looks good. Cause you dress pretty cool, man. I remember, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw you. You were like, like I was like, oh man, this guy. He dresses like, like a chew like musician, like <laughs> a chew folk blues musician. And I remember the first time you pulled out, you know, I remember, I remember distinctly that you were sitting on the bench outside for Scotty. And I, I didn't know what kind of music you played. But you asked me, oh, what kind of music are you interested in? And me, I like, I'm like a year in at the time. I'm like, oh, you know, I really want to learn the blues. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And you pulled this massive lick, this blues <laughs> lick, and went to scale. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm intimidated by this guy. This guy <laughs> is going to ask me to do something bluesy with him, and I will not able to even keep up. But you are seriously one of the most talented young musicians out there, right? Out here right now in San Jose. But are you from here? Um, I'm from kind of the, the outside the Bay Area. I'm from uh, Vacaville originally. That's uh, that's kind north, of by yeah right? north north little east. Uh, it's uh, really close to UC Davis. It's kind of halfway between Sacramento and San Francisco. Yeah, and you were raised over there in Vacaville. Yep, and. I, I'm assuming since your mother was into music that you were introduced to the music early on. Yeah, yeah, my mom. You know, she's a she's a very um, she's a very talented uh, flute player, um, and then so she you know would gig on the side and uh, she, you know, she teaches the high school uh, uh, well K through twelve band, but she she just really loves music and all kinds of music and she wants to 
And as a teacher, I think one of her greatest strengths is fostering that love for all kinds of music amongst, you know, a, a whole, a very diverse set of students. Um, and I think she imparted that into me. Yeah, I think a flute playing is pretty underrated instrument. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of the common ones. Most most people, like, you know, play guitar or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most common, or ukulele. Um, your flute, it's not like, when you think about it, it's not like the, the sexiest instrument. Well, <laughs> you don't think about it, but when you hear it being played in a big orchestra, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, like, it can very be like a, a haunting and a pure kind of sound. Yeah, even in a jazz setting, it's like, wow. Yeah. You're like, who would have thought? A flute. <laughs> I don't know, Ron Burgundy. Did, did your mom try to push the flute on you? No, um, she she uh, she was very good about like kind of letting me pick the instrument that I was drawn to. Um, initially, in uh, you know, in school, that was the trumpet because it was you know brash, wow. brash and in your face. Actually, I'm trying to learn the <coughs> trumpet right now. I have like a, a beautiful really? one. Yeah, my room. It's hard. That is hard. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I find it. It's it's a lot harder for like guitar and piano than me because like you. Guitar, you know, it's a very visual instrument. You can see the kind of notes you're playing. It's easy to picture once you've been playing at it. Uh, trumpet, it's it's kind of a more arbitrary combination of valves. Valves. Yeah. How long have you been playing the trumpet? Uh, well, I was. I haven't played the trumpet since, uh, um, like junior year of high school, really. Oh, so you give it up pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, um, it. it I was initially drawn to it. It was like a. I was. I was a very different player in person than I am now when I first picked up the trumpet. Like, I really wanted to be a lead player on the trumpet. I was very brash and in your face. I had, like, a very, like, harsh and brash, uh, you know, in your face tone. So, when you say that, are you saying you're more of the New Orleans kind of second line trumpet playing? Well, um, I mean, like, I, I don't think. I couldn't really put, pick a style to it because I hadn't really. I hadn't really. Um, explored a lot of musical styles there i was just kind of like you know I'd, I'd play the high school jazz band songs i remember i really liked uh arturo sandoval who was you know he's a great player he was one of those guys who could play like insanely high notes and he would do it musically um and that was something i didn't really grasp at the time i just wanted to play high notes whether or not they sounded good or not and that's <laughs> kind of a that's kind of a cliche um uh, a, you know a stereotype of a lot of young young horn players they'll try to play as loud and as high as they can without really uh um without being, softening it in you know keeping yeah, without, it simple without being aware of the you know the overall musicality of what they're doing yeah. and then completely i think now i've done a complete 180 of that in my in my musical approach yeah wow that's interesting i i, I totally agree like i i know uh, like for example, when you got into trumpet, what were some of the early trumpet trumpet players that you were listening to? Um, let's see, can I even remember? Uh, like Gillis Gillespie, are, are you aware, or or Miles Davis? Yeah. Like you know those cats, right? Yeah. Or like Louis Armstrong. But but if you listen to the other stuff, like they they, they could hit those 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 brass notes, but sometimes they they hit them very soft, and make this beautiful jazz. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why Chet Baker was was a big hit. Uh, are you aware of Chet Baker? Are you a fan uh, of his? Uh, not really. Not, re not a probably. fan of Chet Baker. Oh, no, I mean, I probably would be a fan. I don't. I don't really listen to it. I mean, I'm probably oh. like there's probably some musicians who are like cringing right now if they're listening to this. Uh, Why? So, yeah, well, because I'm revealing how how much I I don't know about uh, a lot of old uh, you know jazz standards, old old jazz cats that I as a musician I probably should be more aware of. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. I I don't know about that. I I think yeah. Uh, you just like most most things in life. You let you know you don't really have 
power of what influences you. It just comes to. Yeah. Time. I don't know. Don't be too hard on yourself, man. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, are you the oldest in the family? Hmm? Do you have siblings? Are you the oldest? Yes, I have uh, three triplet brothers. They're uh, two years younger. Wait, than hold I on. Am. Three triplets. Oh, like uh, it. There, there are only three brothers. Okay. Who are triplets? Not Got three it. sets of triplets. Got it. Because <laughs> that's wow. That's interesting. Are they younger or older than you? Uh, they are. They're younger. Two years younger. Two years younger. That's interesting. How was that growing up around that dynamic? Um, I, looking back on it, I'd like to think we were relatively tame, especially like considering like how bad we could have been or what the uh, what most people's. I think uh, impression of having three boys, well, four boys, uh, in the house would be. I know after I left for college, I think my brothers got a little more, uh, were a lot more raucous. Yeah. <laughs> they they would go around like TPing other people's houses, <laughs> um, and I, I thought that was the kind of thing people would do in like you know in sixth grade and stuff, and eventually grow out of it. But they apparently grew into it. Right. As right. they got older. It's kind of as they got older. I guess they get more liberation. Yeah, that may like have been we, it. Yeah, like, oh shit, we could actually, you know, go drive and do things on our own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but then being triplets, like, w- was there ever like confusion? Like, would they play pranks on you? Like, well, I'm generally confused all the time. <laughs> <laughs> could you distinguish your brothers at one point? Yeah, yeah, I could, I could, like, yeah. I got, I got pretty good at that. Um, people first meeting them would, uh, um, would have trouble. I think sometimes, but now, like, now they've grown into such like a, you know. They 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 found themselves, or more so, I think, than when when they had in you know high school. Then when yeah, and everyone's in that same same boat in high school. So so now it's it's pretty easy for me to, or I think for anyone to tell them apart. So and all three are in a similar career, or they went separate ways. Well, they're um I guess they're all over the place. Two have joined the military. One's in the navy. One is in the um the marines, uh, and then the other one um. He uh he, he would be love to join the military, but there are some like logistical issues with that. So he's he, you know he's finding his his career path. I think he's really enjoying working with kids right now. He might mm-hmm. go down to go down the route of being a teacher. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. So so it's you, three uh, triplets, and there's one younger. No, no, no just just four it? kids. Just we had a kids. we had a dog, all boys. We had a dog. female dog though. <laughs> What's the dog's that name? Was, uh, her name was Kiwi. She okay. was a very very sweet. Uh, what kind of dog? Lab. A golden lab. lab. Yeah. Oh wow. And and uh, your mom was very musically inclined. How about your father? Tone deaf. Tone deaf. <laughs> What's the story there? How, how did a tone deaf guy meet a, a flute gal? Well, the the story is he he's a immigrant from New Zealand. He um he came here in the eighties. He was working uh. As a as a lift off at Squaw Valley, and then I think my mom was on a you know a ski trip there, and they, you know, at, they they noticed each other, thought each other were, were cute. And I'm not sure how many times she rode the lift, and like they made eyes at each other. But eventually, um, that's my, so romantic, the my, lift driver. Yeah, but my my dad gave my mom a, a note, you know, with like a, with a multiple choice option, saying like, hey, I like you, like, are you are you uh, you know interested in me? Want to go on a date? Like, be like me, but you know, you're taken or see, never want to hear from me again. <laughs> So I, or, or, or you're married, but you, <coughs> you, you, you're interested in, a, in an adventure. Yeah, I, I forget exactly what the uh, what the options were, but I mean, you know, she chose like, hey, you know, I'm single, and I like you. Let's see where it goes. Uh, they had their first date in, uh, you know, in Squaw Valley, I think. Uh, what was it like, Chamonix or something, a fancy pizza place or something in uh, uh-huh. uh, at the village, and then you know, the rest is history. Wow, it's fascinating, and it's so interesting. I don't know, I, I just think it's cute how some couples meet. Yeah. And that that is a cute story. Yeah, that's a good... You could, you know, probably make that into a movie. 
Yeah. Probably have to get a few more explosions in there, and then I don't know, invent some kind of kidnapping storyline for action. Is, is, was there a kidnapping story? No, no. Get oh. Liam Neeson to play the part of my dad. And, and your dad's from New Zealand. Yeah. What part of New Zealand? Uh, North Island, Auckland. Oh, that's where the beautiful fucking scenery is at, right? Well, I think the uh, the whole the whole state or the whole uh, the whole country has like there's there's beauty to be found. Um, I think generally when most people think of New Zealand, they think of Lord of the Rings and like that big all that uh, sweeping cinematography. I think of sheep. Is that sheep. weird? <laughs> no, no, sheep sheep is a big part of the economy. Most of that stuff, like the uh, the sheep and the and the nature, happens on the South Island. It's a little less uh, urbanized than the North Island is. Mm. Have you been there? Yes. Several uh, times? Yeah, several times. How'd you like it over there? Oh, it's awesome. It's, uh, you know, the people there, they're very, they're very relaxed and accepting. You know, and then uh, I, I have family, a whole lot of family over there. And like there's, I have these, um, this one cousin who's, who's kind of, he and I are like two peas in a pod. Like we have a very uh, out there sense of humor, very kind of like abstract and absurd yeah. sense of humor. So like when, when we get together, we'll... <laughs> it things can get pretty crazy. Yeah, so we must be related. <laughs> that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. All right, now you mentioned that you play the trumpet. We played the trumpet. I wouldn't say I play the trumpet anymore. You, you played, you know, past tense. Yeah. So what did you switch over to? Um. Well, so like throughout high school, I uh, I f- always wanted to be in like you know a rock band kind of thing. I was really into ska. Unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, ska was great, dude. Yeah, ska, ska is fun. It's a little, uh, it's a little immature. Like like, like traditional ska or like punk ska. Uh, like, well, I was I was more about like the third wave kind of stuff, like less than Jake. That okay. Stuff. Um, but you know, I'd listen. To but everything. like the Clash. Oh well, I mean, I love the Clash. Um, I wouldn't really consider them ska. I'd say they're more more punk. Would you say they're ska influenced though? Yeah, there's some ska influence there, sure. Um, but yeah, so I started out, I learned, well, actually, if you want the full story, there was, uh, I want the full story. Right, so <laughs> I, I, there was my best friend at the time in a, in middle, no, at the end of, um, of, of grade school, at the end of sixth grade. And he was like, Oh, I want to start a band. It's going to be awesome. My, uh, my neighbors playing guitar, my other neighbors playing the drums. I'm going to be the lead singer. We're going to start this band. It's going to be great. So I was like, Oh, awesome. Who's your bass player? And then he was like, what's a bass player? So like, all right, I'll be your bass player. So that's, uh, you know, my, I convinced my mom to, to buy me a, you know, a, a cheap, uh, you know, electric bass. Uh-huh. Um, I remember like the first song I learned how to play was uh, Alien Ant Farm's cover of the of that Michael Johnson. Smooth Jackson Criminal? Song. Yeah, Smooth Criminal. Exactly. And I, like, I was, I thought I like, I really had it down. And like, and I asked my mom, it's like, mom, how good do I sound? It's like, she just starts laughing at me. He's like, oh, <laughs> Who, that, was there extra pressure on you since your mom it was a music director to play better? Oh, I'm sure at the time, like I, I know it was, I felt there were more, there were more expectations right. that I, that I should be good at music. Um, I, and I felt more of that for trumpet playing, like playing guitar and, uh, and bass guitar. That was more of a, a personal thing. Yeah. Um, and then as I started to like, I guess like I'd always come, I think I, I was natural because my mom was a band director, I, I had a leg up on everybody initially when playing the trumpet and I kind of like w- would ride that. But then once people started catching up to me, like I, um, I don't think I like, I responded very well on the trumpet and that I kind of lost interest in it, but playing guitar and like, and bass, that was something that was always very 
personal for me. So once you know playing playing the trumpet kind of fell fell by the wayside. Um, Did you, you felt was it because maybe you're feeling competitive with the trumpet? Yeah, well, I'm a naturally very competitive person. But but when it came to the guitar and the bass, it, you, there was no competition. You're doing it because you loved it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there was competition. Um, you know, like was there? Well, I mean, there there kind of is in everything. You know, when you were in high school. Uh, you know, like I I remember getting jealous of like like a someone else like I thought someone else was better at better at it than me um how, I think, how, how do you take in jealousy because I'm pretty bad with jealousy <laughs> I feel even now like I'm maturing and I'm actually working it out did you feel like you, back in those days you had to well yeah I mean and I think it's that that's just a natural reaction when you're in high school like high school it's a very competitive time um and and you know the highest people at that age are, are still learning to deal with those kind of emotions and now, like you know, je- jealousy is a, a natural response to um, to a lot of things. But uh, I think now I'm you know more more mature and more more equipped to deal with it. I'm, I'm generally I wouldn't consider myself a je- a jealous person. Mm. But at the time, you're like I need to be a better bass player than that guy. Yeah. But but like, how do you prove you're a better bass player besides playing oh. songs, right? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, like playing certain kind of things. Or who gets more playing. gigs? Well, I guess we're you know in high school, so we never really got <laughs> that many gigs. Um, I you know it's like playing different songs. I know like there was a competition you could play Yako uh, uh, Pistorius's uh, cover of Donnelly, a version of Donnelly on the bass. Who could like learn that the best? Who could learn that the fastest? Uh, there's there's a lot of like jockeying for that kind of thing in high school, and it's dumb. It's high school. It's kind of by by definition dumb. But it kind of <laughs> pushed you to learn more complicated songs, didn't it? Uh, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you went. You played bass at a ska band. Mm-hmm. How did that go? Um, we mostly just would practice in my uh, in the drummer's grant. I was very, you know very good, and still am very good friends with the drummer. Um, <laughs> at the time, we we had a lot of gigs. Not a lot of gigs. We pr- we'd practice a lot um, in my drummer's shed it was uh you know during the summers in vacaville which can get up to like you know triple digits you know over 100 degrees fahrenheit so that was pretty intense but uh made for some good times we never really had any success as a band i think we had one gig and then we kind of broke up uh then i got you know as as people as people tend to do in high school i got more into like the emo post hardcore scene yeah so is that when lincoln park came in Lincoln. No, this this is a few few days after. No, days. This is a few years after Lincoln Park's heyday. I think this was more like you know, uh, kind of like Seosin, Taste of Chaos kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, I forget all those bands like I don't know August Burns Red or something or like Weeping in December's Ashes. I'm just making up band names now, but like band these, names that these, sound. These are not real bands. <coughs> no. All right, because I'm like I, I never heard of well, yeah, any like, of these I mean, bands. I, I think I could hold my own now with like you know an old. Emo kid or post hardcore band like the the trick to making up a band name for kind of that like you have some kind of participle and then pick a month in winter so like raising December's ashes or November calling or like like uh, the red sun rises in January or something. Wait, so January's so, falling. So you feel there's a formula to band names? Well, uh, post-hardcore band names. I'm sure there's like I mean every every scene every genre has like something that's uh. It has its own idiosyncrasies, so if you're um, involved or like get involved or deep into a scene, like it's you, you'll notice the, the the kind of things that uh. What would be a band name that you would that I would pick? Yeah. Um. 
Well, for the kind of music I do now, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think... Is that the band name? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm in several musical projects right now. One is called The uh, the Morning Drive. We're uh, kind of like a Central Coast eclectic uh, folk, funk, soul band. Uh-huh. We're fun. Um, another band I'm in is like a duo folk uh, acoustic project with another with the lead singer of uh, of the Morning Drive. We call ourselves uh, Killer Pinecones. Killer Pinecones. Um, I mean, I think the kind of the kind of music that I like to play. There's not like any like formula or anything for the band names. Like you, it's kind of weird how how a name is generated. You just kind of like I don't know, a random combination of words will get thrown together and think, oh yeah, that'll make a good band name, and then you know something just sticks. Well, it's hard to hard to describe. Hey. In some bands, they, they get, <coughs> that's a decisive factor. Right? Some bands probably broke up because they couldn't come up with the with the name. <laughs> well, I think if if you're break, breaking up over the band name, you're probably never meant to be a band together anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard an interesting interview uh, with Terry Reed, uh, musician from the '60s. He says the key to finding a great band is find people that you don't like. Really, and then former band and he used examples like the who and all these other you know great bands i was like that's an interesting notion right there find people that you really don't like and play with them and maybe that competitive factor could be could be like part of that of like trying to prove to them that you could play just as good as as them and bring out good stuff do you feel like that's a thing yeah i feel like that could be a thing i mean there's that there's a whole bunch of ways of being in a band and being you know a, a successful band having a successful band dynamic that's not really the route that I've chosen I know with uh, the morning drive we're all like really great friends and like that you know, we we all get along really well we love vibing off each other and I think the success of the band is um, uh, is in sharing like the kind of good vibes that we have of each other and sharing that with an audience and it's an awesome feeling yeah um, I think you know as you were describing having a more like competitive kind of atmosphere um, that can work really well for like if it's like really technical music. Um, I think it's if you have a band where everyone's kind of like really good friends or they already know each other. I could see how it would be easy to get you know kind of complacent with the kind of music you you play. Right. So it's, you know there are, there are trade offs. There's a lot of different ways of doing things. I guess it depends how how seriously seriously you take things or like how intense you are as a person. Yeah. I don't know. But, but- <coughs> But I think it's interesting that you're you're, you're a bit more of a solo artist, right? Uh, Would you say that? Uh, not necessarily. Like I think that's a lot of the stuff that I write um, is for my uh, for my solo project. Um, yeah. But uh, and I I also play along. Uh, I play very well with others. I'm a good uh, listener and I have a good ear. So okay. like I, I've been you know supporting as like a you know kind of backing musician a lot of the. Um, but ideally, where would you like to be? Would you like to be the front man, or would you much prefer to be, you know? Well, I think ideally, I'd like to be the front man. I think I I have a very uh, unique artistic voice. Writing um, is what I think really motivates me in music. So I, I'd like to have a band that you know very gels, clicks very well, um, that plays the uh, the music that I write and and help me realize the uh, the music music that I write to its fullest potential. Right, that would be the ideal situation. And and as we left off you going from Skog to like, like, <laughs> like emo punk, right? Yeah. So continuing on with that trajectory to where you are now in folk, how did that come about? Um. Well, I guess it's the natural progression of things. You know, like Sky was very happy-go-lucky. I was into Ska because my 
you know, good friend was into Scott. He was, we were kind of doing it as a, uh, as like compensating against, you know, the, the harsh realities of life. Like, you know, life, life is hard and then you die. But with that skull, we were kind of like, you know, like it's, it was incessantly happy. So putting on this incessantly happy face to combat the harsh realities of life. And then, you know, that's an unsustainable thing. So then we get into like emo, screamo, under oath, Seo saying, oh, life is hard. I'm a high schooler. I'm a teenager. Rah, rah, rah. You had, <laughs> had a lot of angst in you. No, who doesn't when they're in high school? But, um, so that, you know, that ran its course. And I think then when I got into college, I think that's when, uh, you know, I truly got to explore, like, music on its own terms, like, find out what I, what I really like. Um, Were you still a bass player up to college? Then I, w- I was more of a guitar player. Okay. I think, uh, I mean, I'm glad I started out with bass first, because I think, uh, uh, people who start on it with guitar, like, the... It's easy to become a kind of like brash lead player and then like be very ego. There's a lot of egotistical, self-centered uh, guitar players, and it's uh, <laughs> no yeah, man, and that's kind of the stereotype. And a lot no, of no, it's true. But I, I think where you're going at, I think I have an idea where you're going. But I yeah. agree. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of people like want to learn bra- brash, you know, fast leads. They want all the attention. They want people to recognize their technical ability in guitar. Um, Whereas bass playing, I think I, I love listening to like very, you know, groovy, um, locked in bass players. Like when a bass player is locked in you know, real well in a groove with a drummer, that's, I'd rather listen to that than shredding guitar any day. So like having, laying that foundation for me, that foundation based on, you know, listening and, uh, and groove of uh, being a bass player, um, I think really informed my guitar playing uh, in the future. I totally agree, man. I think bass and drums are the fundamental of a song. Yeah. I mean, <coughs> like, and I, I didn't realize that until I jammed with others. Because when I was learning the guitar, I was like, oh, you know. But once I'm playing with others, it's like I feel like like the song's even better because there's more of a foundation behind it. And I totally agree. I, I think it's awesome. I should have started with bass. Why did I do that? <laughs> Damn it. All right. So so then you somewhere along the way, you picked up the guitar and you went into college. What yeah. college did you go to? Uh, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. And that's where you find your folk roots? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that. that's, I think a lot of people, especially around this time, a lot of people go to college, they get into the folk thing. Um, I think I, listening to, to Bon Iver, I think his, uh, sk- you know, Skinny Love was uh, something that really resonated with me. I have kind of um, broadened the scope of artists that I listen to in folk so outside like, of Bon Iver. So it's like more like indie folk? Yeah. Do you, or, or do you not distinguish that? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't put too much stock into into genres. I think like it, it's kind of fun to classify things like that, but uh, I, I don't really like to debate that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> but so you wouldn't call it indie folk. You call it street uh, oh, folk. Yeah, I'd say that's indie folk. Like you know, it, and it's also there's more of a. Uh, I think there's a more of a specific audience who who would be drawn to that. A younger audience, you know, college kids are drawn to that kind of indie folk kind of stuff. Um, what do you think that is? That, that's an interesting notion in itself. <laughs> Why do I think that is? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, um, college students, you know, they're starting to expand their minds. They're learning there's a whole, you know, world out there outside of the, uh, you know, college, the high school town that they went to. I know for someone like Bon Iverra, his lyrics are can, can be very um, abstract, um, uh, and I think you know people as they're as they're you know learning more about the world, they're kind of drawn to that kind of abstract and at least the uh, putting on the 
the the appearance of uh, you know having very like heady abstract uh, lyrics and themes, and then also like you know he's kind of got a very um, sweet falsetto voice. I could see why you know girls would be drawn to that. <laughs> girls into falsettos. <coughs> Is that the key? Falsettos is to get chicks, <laughs> or or a deep very very white voice. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, uh, I don't think my music's ever gotten me, got gotten me chicks. Really? So. <laughs> no. I mean, it's not like that's that's not why I do it. So maybe that's the, that's the idea. I've never played Wonderwall for a girl, and I, I'm proud of that fact. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I'm real proud. I, of you. I will never, never do that. Yeah. It's good. Good for you, man. Stay strong. I'm glad to hear that. But it's funny, but Bon Iver, I, I think he, the indie folk scene that was coming up in the 1990s, right, up to 2000s, kind of paved the way to what now it's a pretty big deal to have folk rock, like Mumford & Sons, Lumineers. Yes, and I think that a part of part of what it is is there's a very, like, communal aspect to it. Like, it's music that, like, people can, uh, you know, they can all play together. I know, like, there was one time, like, we were jamming at my house, and there was, like, 10 people or so came over and most of them had guitars and they were like all these people with way too many guitars and it was so it was a whole lot of uh was that too annoying uh well it was a little bit annoying but it was it was fun to do like once and there's a whole it's like sensory overload and we're playing like little lion man by by mumford and sons with you know 12 guitars it was yeah. <laughs> it was an experience but you know it's fun it at brings people point, together at what point is it too, too many guitars two yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, like, yeah, there. I think uh, with the with the playing style that I have, I, I'm a very like you know creative player. I can be, I can be like a rhythmically busy player. I guess kind of messy. So like I and I, I have my own unique voice. So I prefer bands like three piece bands that only have one guitar. With a real creative guitarist, I think that can having the one guitar and then uh, can you know is better at showcasing that player's talents. Um, but uh, the value of having two guitars is, you know, one can start doing the, um, one can lay down the rhythm and the other can solo over it. Yeah. So, you know, I think generally like one or two guitars is pretty good. I, I don't really know a whole lot of three guitar bands off the top of my head. How do you end up being in a position where you're surrounded by 12 guitar players playing at once? Well, like, you know, everyone and their mother plays guitar in college. Um, we, we'd have these like week, weekly uh, jam night things, I think, in a... Uh, at, at one house that I was living in and it um people would you know more and more of our friends and friends of friends heard about it so like you know we just sent one day like too many people heard about it and we have like 12 guitarists yeah. <laughs> suddenly do you, <coughs> and in college <coughs> in co do you need more water you're good oh yes please yeah okay hold on hold on you, you could you could talk okay people <laughs> let me just write down where uh, 33 33 alright so yeah we got uh 12 guitar bands. I think like Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero is one Magnetic Zero is they're one of those like 12 person bands. <laughs> it's kind of fun. What? What's that? Edward oh, Sharp? Yeah, like that's I think that that's a very like kind of college college kind of atmosphere band. It's like, you know, there's I love Edward Sharp. It's Magnetic almost like a, there's a blurring of the lines between the audience members and the band. It's like, oh, there's 12 people in the band. You too can be in this band. Just jump yeah. up, play a tambourine or play a harmonica. Well, well it still I, I find it's interesting that in today's culture of our youth, there's an appeal for the folk rock um, genre because if you think about it, th we had that stuff back in the 60s. But over time, culture changed, you know, like in the 70s came that music in the 80s, that music and 90s, 
And I feel like in the 90s, that's where kind of I felt there was a displacement of identity among the youth. I feel, in my opinion, I think at that point, studios kind of took over a little too much control of what sounds. And, I, and, I, and there's something with, with the folk rock. Pretty much, I feel what folk rock is doing to the studios now, because now it's more independent, right? Or, or at least you can be more independent because mm-hmm. you, you don't have to deal with too much electric stuff. It's very similar to what Bill Crosby and Nash did to like the studio musicians in the in the sixties. I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, no, not really. No. no. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But 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 point I'm trying to make though that I, I find it interesting that how how big of a deal folk rock is becoming. And I'm not trying to put it down. I love folk rock. You know. Uh, and that's yeah I don't know that's what I want to say I like folk rock <laughs> but I, I just find I just find it interesting in a so- sociological level how it appeals to to the youth today hmm. yeah I'm not sure why that is maybe it's you know a, a kind of like a like a well, cic- there's a cyclical nature to things maybe like the youth today are kind of fed up with the overproduction that they see in a lot of pop music so well, they kind of want to go back to something that's a little more like you know acoustic what got you into folk? um probably because it's it's just easier it was you know i i had an acoustic guitar it's kind of easier to play in your bedroom you need uh you need less uh you know amplification it's easier to uh play with other people or just you know that was kind of the community I was in in college. Like I, I met some cool people who were also into the kind of folk scene. You know, we we started a band. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of folk band, more acoustic oriented. What are some of your folk influences? Well, I think the best band in the world is the uh, the Punch Brothers, and they're like you know they're they're all virtuoso musicians. And I don't I don't want to really like compare myself to them because like they're you know they're they're the all-star team and I'm like you know playing if we're going with the baseball analogy I'm just like playing a backyard baseball game it's completely different leagues but they um just everyone in the band is like virtuosic in their own right and then somehow they got together and they've made created something that's where the the sum of the parts of the very very talented parts is even greater (laughs) the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and like and they they can just do anything like they can make you know bluegrass covers of um of of classical pieces of Bach of uh Debussy and then like they can make kind of like a you know a Beach Boys style uh pop music but like it, it's still cohesive it's still virtuosic it's still it's a it's uh it's intellectual it's you know abstract and then it's also inviting um you know and, and people of all different uh intellectual and musical backgrounds can can come together and enjoy enjoy this band so they're yeah they're the best now you mentioned covers mm-hmm. you kind of have a thing for covering hip-hop yes songs how, how did that come about well I think that's kind of the contrarian in me I think there's a lot of uh crap music that's put out in the pop and hip-hop music industry Drake especially uh, so I think it's kind of like I like creating that cognitive dissonance, like taking a, a, a kind of a, a song that everybody likes and knows that's like the flavor of the week on the radio. And then um, that often has very like dumb and most often misogynistic lyrics and then putting it in a new like kind of folk context. And then people will hear 
these these lyrics but with a new melody melody and a completely different context and i think oh no this song's kind of dumb like a uh, hotline bling by drake i do like a um kind of a, a texas like swinging blues version of this song and like and the lyrics are are, are so dumb <laughs> yeah I, I agree and, and i remember at at uh, red rock I, I was there where you performed um what's her name Jeez. uh the one from australia oh um iggy azalea iggy azalea you played a cover of her song I, yeah she's got extra dumb lyrics uh, but here's the thing like i i agree with you but by putting those lyrics into you know different contexts it's more eye-opening of what how ridiculous mm-hmm. it is but i think it's ironic that people actually loved it that you play <laughs> that song well i think it's um it i'm not doing it solely to be ironic too like it's also uh it, you're it's putting a, effort to it yeah it, it's a good vessel for like connecting with my generation like if i play a song that's popular with um with people my age like and but like put it in a way that like i that i think makes it more of like a viable uh or more of a um gives it more artistic intent or just it, it in part in part part of my own personality into the song well then that like kind of opens up a a gateway between me and the audience it's a good way of connecting with people and then they say like oh hey they this guy he did this fun cover of uh of iggy azalea songs now let's see like um you know what, what what's his own music about it's a it's a good way of you know connecting with people i think too mm. and it's not I, I don't like to do things like just because it's ironic or just because it's contrarian like I, I like to think I'm a I'm a genuine person, so that's why I think I'm adamantly not a hipster. Because uh, even though I may dress and and uh, and appear like it sometimes, um, I, I do I enjoy doing things because I I genuinely enjoy doing them, not because I'm trying to put on a, um, like an air of irony or anything mm. like that. Now, <coughs> uh, do you, do you feel that's a constant battle you're dealing with? Um, it, uh, I suppose so. I think I give because if, yeah. if you if you tell me, I think you're the original hipster. <laughs> like like because at a young age you already shopping at their stores before, yeah before even the, before even the hipster movie even started yeah i mean uh it, that's i wouldn't say it's a constant struggle i, I mean i mean there's a compliment but yeah <laughs> well thank you but uh <laughs> um i mean i know a lot of people like think that especially meeting me like right off the bat but uh i i wouldn't say it's a struggle because like i i, I don't really care like um it, it doesn't bother me that people like would view me as a hipster because I think if they if you know you took the time to get to know me you would realize that I'm not well dude when I first saw you you mostly stuck your reserve to yourself yes but the minute you got on stage you fucking <laughs> you, you take command of the room <coughs> now let's talk a bit about performance mm-hmm. like how did you feel that you the, your evolution of performing in front of an audience like start with the first time perform in front of strangers to now how do you feel you changed um improved well, well i think um i'm a naturally gifted performer i don't i don't have a lot of uh, stage fright which i think is a uh, kind of uncommon for uh, a lot of the people up and coming in the music scene but uh yeah i kind of like i revel in the adrenaline of, of performing i think uh Playing music, sharing music that whether you've written it or you're just performing someone else's song with people is uh, is one of the best feelings on earth. So it's almost like an addiction. Like I, I crave that feeling of uh, you know playing music with people. Uh, what were we talking about? The evolution of my performance. So uh, <coughs> it's uh, I think for playing like uh, my own songs, it's just going to a lot of open mic nights. You know, just 
you know, playing songs, just playing out as much as possible, and then it becomes, you know, second nature, I think. Yeah, but you, um, what do you feel like? Come on. Okay, tell me about the first time you performed in front of strangers. Well, how was that? First time I performed in front of strangers? Um, well, I don't really know when the first time was. It was probably like, you know, playing with a uh, sixth grade band or choir or something like that. Was it for a talent show? Um, no, are you talking about like playing my own stuff or like playing solo? I think the farthest back I can remember it was there was this kind of like relay for life event at uh, at high school, and like and they were having kind of like karaoke or a singing competition, and I I wasn't originally signed up to enter, but like just right out of the blue, you know, I happened to have a guitar with me, so I I play uh, the most beautiful girl in the room by Flight of the Concords, you know, like when I was completely unprepared to do so. How did that turn out? Oh, it was great. Like, uh, did you was, win? Well, I'm not sure. I don't think I won. I don't think it was a really a talent show, a competition, or anything. It was just a a showcase, really. Well, the people doing like the relay for life thing, uh, you know, did their thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so for you, performing in front of in live just natural. You get you had no no improvement. You're like, I got it from the beginning. I mean, no, it's yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, I've definitely improved, um, I think, uh, but, like, <coughs> I think uh, in terms of, like, stage fright or anything, that's never really been an issue for me. No. No performance anxiety. No, not really. I mean, not, not, there's always a little bit of, like, adrenaline and nerves, and that's good, as there should be. That helps amplify the performance, but it's never, it's never been, um, like, uh, it's never been, like, a paralyzing factor for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm curious, because we talk about folk and, and stuff, but how, how do you come up playing the blues? Because you're a great blues player. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, a lot of, you know, modern rock music. Uh, a lot of, you know, modern styles of guitar is based off the blues. So naturally, you, you had to learn it. Yeah, so that that's kind of like where, uh, where, I think that's where most guitarists, you know, enter is a is more or less learning how to play the blues using blues scales. And it's a very applicable scale. You can play it over almost anything, and it'll sound good. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Blue, <laughs> blues. I love the blues so much. Yeah, and it's and it's great because it's like it's it, it's so uh, based in style. It's like it's technically like a lot of the all the blues is more or less the same. It's like the same notes, same scale, a lot of the same chord progressions, but it's um, it's just such every there's so many different styles of the blues that like people can like grab look, grab one particular style or resonate with someone and they can make it their own and that's what's great about it hmm. <coughs> now you as a musician what do you feel is something key for 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 a new guitarist well I like playing in the key of G that's a good key for guitar yeah <laughs> uh, ex ex explain to me again which key is I'm still new to this. Do I have my guitar here? No, I never one one sharp, F sharp, yeah. F sharp. It's good. It's a relative uh, relative major of E minor, and that's another easy key to play. So why do you dig G key? <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I'm being facetious, but like you oh. know, G G is uh, a G G is a good you know key. It's it G is good because it um it's it's easy to play and there's a lot of like open chord shapes in the key of G and it suits the vocal range of a lot of uh, male uh, male vocalists really interesting mm. I didn't know that uh, what tone or what key do you feel best fits your voice hmm 
I mean, I, I like to vary it up. I tune my guitar down a whole step, and I'll play a lot of keys like with the chord shape of G, with the chord shapes of G, but tuned down a whole step. So playing an F. Yeah. <coughs> now I, I listened to your EP, which yep. came out last year. Yeah, no, it's all bedroom recordings. But yeah. You recorded all those in your room. Yep. Wow. I think because in one of the songs you had some backup singers as well. That's all. It's all me. It's me uh, just overdubbing. What? Yep, I could have sworn that's you. Yep. Every everything on that uh, on my EP on Bandcamp. That's all me. Uh, it's just you know overdubbing. Well, tell me a bit about this album and what these songs mean to you. Well, let's see. I think most uh, most of my my songs are more or less about. Uh, being being uh you know a 20 something year old trying to find their own way in the uh in the bay area i think about half of those songs are on the album are about how uh how unsuccessful i am with dating women as any uh and and you can't be too successful in your love life if you want to be a successful singer songwriter mm. <laughs> you got to you got to have that pain that struggle so you can write songs <laughs> And then, uh, then the other songs are like more about the, uh, you know, kind of like just the, 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 um, the struggle and grind of like you're living in the city trying to make your own way when you're, uh, when you're 20. That's what the song, uh, the real bluesy song on there, uh, Too Damn Bad, is about. Mm. That's a fun one to play. But yeah, but I think you're right. I think for the most part, it has to do with the loss of a significant other or not mm-hmm. being able to attain the significant other. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not about, not about death. No. Um, well, you know, but yeah, you know, ha- you know look, heartbreak can feel almost. Yeah, like that. yeah, looking, looking for, looking for love in the city, and like you know, it's sexual and romantic frustrations. There's a lot of that. That's. Uh, you feel that's a lot you deal with. Yeah, I think romantic frustrations is a good way of de- describing my love life yeah. up until this point. <laughs> I, you're a cool guy. You're a nice guy. <laughs> what, what do you think that is? Um, yeah, probably a mixture of uh, of shyness and uh, and being selective. It's so funny. <coughs> So you, <coughs> you're not shy on the stage, no. but you're shy outside the stage. Oh, yeah. Why do you think that is? That's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, maybe it's like when I'm on the stage, I can kind of like, you know, let loose the burdens of my, of my natural shyness in, in just like a regular social setting. I can like kind of, I can put on the, um, I guess the mask, if you will, of being a performer so I can share something true about myself. You know, that, that classic, you know, like. Tell art is telling using a lie to tell the truth that kind of thing that's mm. I, I suppose you could there's a bit of that going on in my performance it's also like it's being with the audience it, it's like a, it's a different social setting I feel like the what's the um the kind of like what's socially acceptable or what uh the the reservations that I would have in um you know in a in a private social setting are 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 lifted when I'm on stage so I can be freer in a yeah. sense I hear you, man. It's tough. You again. You're the oldest of your of your siblings, right? Yes. So that's even even more pressure, man. Because <laughs> you could get us at the bar. You're like, oh my god. And I'm sure your mom wants grandkids by now. <laughs> no, no. My my parents are very they're very uh, understanding and uh, and just gen- genuinely like compassionate people. So like they're they're they don't have any like expectations for you. They don't expect anything for them. They're not selfish. They they just want me to be happy. Yeah. So you know, and I, I'm finding my own way. I like the. <laughs> so this just reminds me of a story of my my aunt, who is um I think is more in line with what you're talking about. Uh, and for one of our uh, Christmas like dinners, she like comes up to me, and she says, uh, "Alex, 
are you a doctor or a lawyer? It's like, oh, well, I'm neither of those things. I'm, I'm studying to be I'm an engineer. <laughs> it's like, oh, have you found someone yet? It's like, no, no, Lola, I haven't found uh, found someone. And then she goes, oh, it's not too late. Uh, so, oh, no. So words to live by. It's not too late. <laughs> no, it's not too late. What did you say you studied at Cal Poly? I did a major in materials engineering and a minor in music. Materials engineering. <coughs> what does that mean? Well, it's uh, that a lot of people have that question. It's a very broad engineering uh, discipline. Um, I mean, when you think about it, everything's made out of stuff. So being able to understand the stuff that things are made of is a very um, applicable skill. Um, the most concise way of putting materials engineering um, that I that I like is a every material has a has a structure whether that that you can't see. You know, it's made out of atoms, and those atoms make molecules. Um, and those uh, those building blocks that make up a material uh, have a different structure that can affect the material's performance. So you can, depending on how you process a material, you can change the you know the um, the the micro or atomic structure of this material to have it do different things, to have it perform in different ways. So you can tailor materials to uh, to be suited for different applications. Now, is this practical <coughs> engineering or is this like theoretical stuff? Well, it's uh, the major is more science based uh, as opposed to design based. So a lot of more, I think I'd say there's more materials uh, science uh, science or engineering majors that are going into uh, more research applications like researching different materials for more efficient batteries or like uh, or for cleaner energy that kind of right. stuff. But there, um, but because of the uh, I'd say materials engineering are very equipped to well equipped to look at problems in different ways and to um, uh, identify and solve problems that people might not even know exist. Well, I'm assuming from what I'm grabbing on here is that you're dealing a lot with the atomical levels of elements. Mm -hmm. All right, mm -hmm. and, you, and you're trying to figure out what are the different combinations we can make with these elements to make different stuff yeah. or, or or better stuff. <laughs> right, and an example you use is batteries. You know the alkaline batteries and stuff mm -hmm. like that. What if we use? Uh, and that's fascinating stuff. What attracted you to that? Well, uh, Cal Poly uh, wasn't actually my first choice. My first two choices were UC Berkeley and uh, UC uh, San Diego. Didn't get into any of those. So Cal Poly was kind of a backup school where um, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted. I knew I wanted to apply to Cal Poly in something, some technical field, because that's what they're known for. And then I saw this program for materials engineering, and it, and it looked really unique. It was like a it was a lot smaller than some of the other uh, engineering disciplines, but it seemed like a very family-oriented, like community-oriented uh, uh, program. Like there'd be, you know, a lot of like good friends to be made, a lot of uh, a lot of support from the faculty, um, and it'd be, you know, more intimate than uh, I feel like less, uh, less like a, uh, you know, just another, you know, uh, peg in in a cog, just trying to get my degree and get out. And I, I think it would be a more like in-depth uh, learning experience. So I, it, it seemed like a good program. It wasn't necessarily the, uh, the uh, program material itself, but rather the uh, the community. Yeah, it sounds like you, <coughs> it, it sounds like you get involved in things for the communal aspects of things. Yeah, that's true. So Alex, are you, are you looking for a, a lost connection here? Lost connection? No, that, I mean I think not like a lost connection. I think I uh, I'm a very like quiet and reserved person, but I actually have a very uh, healthy social life. 
especially. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doubting d- that. Despite, despite my romantic frustrations. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... But, like, do you really feel like you're having an okay life? I, I mean... Come on, like I don't think I'm having an okay life. Okay. No, I think I, I, I think, think I I think I'm I don't think anybody. Do you think I have a great life? Well, I think so. I mean, it's not like I'm not. It's not like I'm complacent and like if my life and like I want more for myself. But like what what I'm doing, the path that I'm on, I think it is pretty fulfilling. Like I, I've got a you know engineering day job that uh, mm-hmm. you know offers problem solving opportunities and and more or less pays the bills. Although like if cost of living keeps going the way it's going in the bay area maybe not in the future yeah but and my job also allows me to do uh to mu- to do music on the side um uh, which is i think that's that's really how i define my identity how i a lot of my happiness and uh you know and uh well-being is is through music and through through the music and the community in the uh in the bay area that i've become a part of i made some you know really great friendships and and i'm i'm continuing to do so so it's uh, awesome to be part of this community so, so let me ask you this <coughs> what is the ideal community you'll like to find um and, and and live for the rest of your life in i'm not really i'm not really sure how to answer that i think uh i can't i think as long as the community is just um open-minded and and supportive of you know of uh, of people i think uh, that that's all i can really ask for yeah yeah so and then and uh you know i found that for uh, in 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 a bunch of places one and you know in this uh like up and coming you know south bay music scene it's like it's awesome to see like there's so many different styles oh, yeah. from like israel sanchez to the guys in time will decide um to like and you know something more like uh pop oriented like Michelle Gunther but like there, there's a whole lot of different uh, styles going on but everybody is very um, supportive and encouraging of each other and there's like people just like want to support each other and see each other succeed so much yeah uh, that's you know that, that's really great to see with, with your <coughs> with your fresh fresh pair of eyes mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you see the South Bay music scene well I think it's it's kind of a um it's it's a little rough around the edges, but there there's an extreme amount of like passion and enthusiasm, and there's a lot of you know ferment going on that's kind of underground beneath the scenes, and there's not nearly enough uh, outlets in in the South Bay to uh, to accommodate all of this interesting and passionate music that's going on. Hmm. Have you found it difficult to navigate around here? <laughs> like physical navigation? No, I mean like musically. Musically, um, or I haven't found a lot of gigs. <laughs> if that's what you mean, G- gigs uh, you find them hard to find. Yeah, well, that part of that is a um, is just finding the time for it. You know, between my day job, between you know trying to write and practice songs, and then all my other musical commitments. It's at least lately my my own uh, writing, my own music, and performing my own music has fallen a little bit by the wayside because my. Uh, full band the morning drive has been picking up and getting more gigs like i've been booked up playing morning drive gigs for like on the weekends for the past two months or so Mm. um and then i've been you know a lot of i um i've been supporting a lot of uh, like other other the other south bay acts um you know playing like lead guitar or backing guitar or bass uh for some of these guys so like i haven't been able to focus as much time on my own music uh, as I would have liked, but I think that that's I'll have more time for that in the future. <coughs> okay, well we reached that one hour mark. Okay, how do you, how do you feel? I feel pretty good. I think feel yeah. pretty good. You, we good? 
It didn't feel like an hour, so no. so that's good. That's good. That, that means you had a good time. Yeah. Had a good time. And you're going to play a song for us, right? Yes. What's the name of the song? Uh, I think I'm going to play the uh, the Wind in the Wheat. Is it an original? Yes, an original. The Wind? The Wind in the Wheat. It's taken from a line from the uh, from the Little Prince where the uh, the fox the fox meets the Little Prince. Little Prince. It's Interesting. Yeah, or Le, Le Petit Prince. Do, do, do you feel you find inspiration in literature? Uh... I'd like to think I would. I, I'm, I don't really read that much literature. And, and truth be told, this song, it's, I don't want to say it's like really about the uh, uh, the Petit Prince, but it's like um, that that was kind of the starting point for it. And then I kind of like use that as a springboard into my own ideas. Awesome. All right, let's get right to it. All right. Like the wind in the wheat. 
so for now let the words we don't speak sing like the wind on the words we don't speak sing like the wind and the weed